Father, your blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to open our Bibles to Acts 6 and 7 today, the story of Stephen. And let's remember what we've been learning thus far overall in the book of Acts, um, that we understand that Acts 1-8 is sort of this vision statement for the whole book where Jesus promises to his disciples, he says, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses to his resurrection life, beginning in Jerusalem, then in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But so far, as you've noticed, I hope, in Acts 1 to 6, the gospel, we might say, is is locked in Jerusalem. Um, The activity so far in ministry for the gospel has only been surrounding the Jerusalem area. And so our passage today shows us what exactly was the key, so to speak, that God used to unlock the door, to open up gospel ministry beyond the Jerusalem area, to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The the jet fuel, what was it? The jet fuel that propelled God's purposes forward. Or we could ask it this way, if you read, starting in verses or chapter 8, and then throughout the book of Acts, you'll notice the gospel does spread forward. But how? What does God do? What, what happens that initiates that movement of the gospel? Well, Acts 6 to 7 shows us. It's the witness of one man whom we've actually heard about earlier in the book of Acts, chapter 6, one of the seven chosen to faithfully serve the Lord and his church, a man named Stephen, a man full of grace and power. It's Stephen's witness for Christ that ends up advancing the gospel, but specifically it is his suffering, pain-filled witness to Christ that advances the gospel. That's the key that the Lord uses to unlock the door for the gospel to propel forward. And that's, the, that's actually the big point of today's sermon, the, the main emphasis of the text. It's how the gospel works in your life and my life if you are a Christian, if you're someone who has embraced Christ. The way that God advances his kingdom purposes in the world is through an unexpected way. The unexpected way that God advances his Christ-centered purpose is through the pain of his people. That's the main point this morning. The main point is in an unexpected way, God advances his purpose of drawing people to Christ, of seeing Christ, of understanding and knowing Christ. The way that God accomplishes that purpose is through the pain-filled suffering witness of his church. And we're going to see the three ways that this happens. The first is embracing Christ's life, verses 8 to 15 of chapter 6. The second is knowing Christ's story, which is Stephen's sermon there in verses 1 to 54 of chapter 7. And then finally, seeing Christ's glory, the vision of Christ that Stephen sees, verses 55 to 60. So again, embracing Christ's life, verses 8 to 15. Knowing Christ's story, verses 1 to 54, and then seeing Christ's glory, verses 55 to 60. If we become these type of people, in an unexpected way, what we will see is God, God will advance his purpose for Christ through your pain. And this is very important to understand because one of the main lies 
that Satan wants to work into your heart, and I guarantee you it happened this week, is for you to think, if you're in Christ, your heart's desire, I want to see Jesus move through my life. I want to see Jesus move through my life to bless others. I want to be a witness. I want to show others what Jesus is like. That's our, that's our great hunger. But in the midst of that, what we think is the pain in my life, the suffering I go through, the opposition, that is an obstacle that, that hinders the progress of the gospel. Or, or we might say it this way, it's poison. The suffering and pain in my life is poison that kills the purpose of God. If God would just remove all of this, I could be so much more faithful, so much more useful to the Lord and to his kingdom. That's, that's how Satan wants us to think. But the way the gospel works, what we see through the whole of scripture is, is actually the opposite of that. It is through the weakness and the pain, and the challenge, and the heartache through those things that God's purpose to show people Christ through your life, that's how it advances. Not around it, but through it. So embracing Christ's life, knowing Christ's story, seeing Christ's glory. Now let's read the passage together. This is a huge amount of text. We're not going to read the entire thing because we'll explore it in more detail as we go through. So I'm just going to read chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. And then we're going to jump down all the way to chapter 7, verse 55, okay? Starting in verse six, or chapter 6, verse 8, we meet Stephen. This is God's word for us this morning. Stephen, a man full of grace and power. He's doing great wonders and signs among the people, but some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom by the Holy Spirit with which Stephen is speaking. Then they secretly, verse 11, instigate men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat on this council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Verse 55, chapter 7, jump down. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is God's word. It is true. It's given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, show us Christ today, Lord, in all of our, our pain right now, our affliction, our weakness. We need to see Jesus, Lord. I want to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ this morning, first as a servant to you and to your word, second as a servant to these beloved people to help them and to do them good in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray these things for your glory and our good. Amen. 
there once was a woman named Julie. Julie grew up in a small town in Minnesota, and she was part of a, a great Christian family, great friends, a wonderful church. She was loved by so many, and she loved so many people. And most of all, the thing that defined Julie's life was the purpose of Christ that was advancing through her because, because she had embraced the life of Christ. That's our first point we're looking at together, verses 8 to 15. Just like Stephen, Julie was, verse 8, someone who was full of grace and power. Stephen doing great signs and wonders among the people, doing great things, pointing to a great God. Stephen, full of the purpose of God, showing what God is like to those around him. Looking so much like Jesus. I mean, the two defining characteristics of what Christ is like, grace and power. Grace, God's lavish kindness towards undeserving sinful people. And then God's power, his strength to accomplish his purpose. Stephen is filled with the grace and power of Jesus. And when you're filled with the grace and power of Christ, you become someone who's so useful for God's purposes, doing great signs and wonders. In fact, verse 10, if you look at it, tells us that the Spirit of Christ so filled Stephen with wisdom that he even taught like his Lord. He was teaching and speaking the truth of the kingdom to Jewish people. We know that from verse 14 because they'll later accuse him of speaking about how Jesus would be the fulfillment of what the temple had always meant to be, the, the dwelling place of where God can meet with unholy, sinful people. But, but here's a man full of the Spirit reflecting the life of Christ, grace and power and wisdom, God's purpose spreading through him to those around him. That's what Julie was like. Embracing Christ's life, having his character, and also having his purpose of teaching the Bible at children's church, active in youth groups, serving a local nursing home with all of the needs that they had on a regular basis, Parkview. Don't forget this, that right now, if, if you are a Christian, if, if you're in Christ, you too are filled with the grace and power of Christ. The Holy Spirit fills you and you have a God-given purpose to reflect to this world the character of Jesus, what he is like, and to teach in the words of Christ the good news of the gospel. That is what we are called to, and you have that right now as a Christian. But we also must be clear. If you and I embrace Christ, if we embrace his life, Make no doubt about it, his life includes a cross. Suffering, pain. Like Stephen, pain comes into our lives at the very point where you and I are seeking to be faithful to the Lord and to live for his purposes in this world. I mean, notice, maybe you heard this in the first reading, notice how much Stephen's suffering is a, a mimicking of Jesus's own suffering. Verse 11, look down with me. Stephen is the victim of community slander, like Jesus was, as people secretly gathered to say that they heard him speak blasphemy against God and Moses. The same exact false accusations in verse 12 and 13 that Stephen receives, Jesus also received, didn't he? A blasphemy about God, a blasphemy about, about the law in God's holy temple, God's holy book, the law, showing God's people how to live, 
in his holy place where he meets with his special people. But like his Lord, Stephen experiences opposition, pain, adversity as he seeks to be faithful to God's call on his life. Parkview, let's remember, when we embrace the life of Christ, it will necessarily come with a cross, a cross of suffering and pain. John 15, Jesus says this to his servants, to his, his disciples. A servant is not greater than his master. As they persecuted me, as, as I endured pain, so also you will endure pain. You will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who desire to live a godly life, embracing the life of Christ, we might say, all those who desire that, they will suffer. They will be persecuted, God's word says. It's all over scripture. You see, Julie found herself, like Stephen, in a place of pain as she was seeking to be faithful to the Lord, embracing the life of Christ, a shining star for God's glory, as she ran into some pain early in her adult years. Her first marriage, very exciting at first, a young couple in love, and yet only a year after marriage began, it ended because the husband rejected the way of Christ and abandoned her. Pain. And when this pain happens, you and I, if we are honest, when we face this type of pain, as we are seeking to be faithful to Christ and to live for God's purposes, we often begin to wonder, what is God doing in this pain? What is God's great purpose with your pain with my pain? Well, the answer comes to our next point. First, we must embrace the, the Christ's life, his character and his way of suffering, yes, but, but secondly, to understand what's happening, to interpret the details of our lives, we need God's word. We need to know Christ's story. And that's the second point, verses 1 to 54, the largest section of a sermon in the book of Acts. And in Stephen's sermon, he's responding to his accusations, but, but instead of giving just bullet point answers, because they're saying, hey, Stephen, you're against the law. You're against the temple. You, you de uh, degrade those two institutions that we believe are so, so core to how we relate to God. You're against them. And instead of Stephen saying, bullet point one, nope, here's why. Bullet point two, no, here's why. He tells a story. A historical account of God's action with his people. Now, we don't have enough time to preach 57 million sermons on just these verses, because we could. But what I want you to do is this. We're going to fly over very quickly to get the general kind of understanding of the passage, and then we'll kind of go back again and kind of land at different points throughout. The flyover of this story begins with Abraham in verses 2 to 8. Verses 2 to 8, Abraham and God's call to the promised land. And then... Stephen introduces us to Joseph, verses 9 to 16, and God's provision in Egypt. And then in verses 17 to 43, it's, we see Moses and God's rescue of his people and their journey to Sinai. And then verses 44 to 50, it ends on the tabernacle and the temple with David and Solomon. Stephen hits many of the major points of the Old Testament history, but get this. This is not a boring lecture of history from a boring professor. I mean, did you ever wonder why in verse 15, we skipped over, but now we return to it. Verse 15, Stephen, while being unjustly accused of blasphemy, just like Jesus, it says that his face is shining like an angel. His face has this, 
this peace about it, this, this joyful confidence. How, how could you and I endure slander, misrepresentation, the pain of being misunderstood? Have you ever felt that? To face that with a face shining with light and joy, how does one do that? Well, it's because Stephen knows who his God is. And Parkview, do you know who your God is this morning? The God revealed in the whole story of Scripture and how specifically he accomplishes his purposes. And this is what I want us to do now. We just saw the flyover of the sermon. Now we're going to wrap around and do kind of little dips at different points. And I want you to notice a pattern that Stephen is weaving through this sermon. And it's important to understand this pattern because this is the core of how we are able, as we embrace the life of Christ with its coming sufferings, how we're able to understand what God is doing in the midst of them. And it's this. In an unexpected way, God fulfills his purpose of getting people to Christ. He fulfills that purpose in and through human rejection, suffering, and yes, even sin. Look with me, we first meet Abraham in verse 2. And in a very unexpected way, God's glory appears in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia being a place of just pagan idolatry. In Joshua 24, we actually learn Abraham was just living life as a total idolater, rejecting worship of the true and living God, living his life in total rejection of God. But God goes and visits him. It says the glory of God, which people in the first century Jewish world Stephen's teaching to, they would have thought only God's glory dwells in the temple, Stephen. That's the only place. God's locked in this little box called the temple. That's it. But what Stephen says is God's glory to Abraham appears in backwoods, pagan Mesopotamia. Very unexpected. What's God doing? But verse 5 to 6, yet God gives him no inheritance in this land, but promises through a covenant to give it to his offspring who would become sojourners in a foreign land. What is God doing? No home, sojourning, foreign lands, totally unexpected of what you would think God would be doing. And yet, we now meet Joseph. Verses 9 to 16. From Genesis, we know Joseph to be a young man full of potential, Loved by his father. Someone, we might say, not too different from Stephen. Not too different from Julie. A a person full of wisdom. A bright future ahead of them, shining out for God's purposes in the world. And yet, verse 9, Joseph's brothers, the patriarchs, jealous of him, were angry enough to get rid of his life, them thinking they'll get rid of his life, through slavery. The evil of slavery in a foreign land in Egypt. What is God doing? What is God doing in all of Joseph's pain? Well, we start seeing a little picture, a little glimmer of it, verse 9 to 10. It says that God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph, not in a temple in a promised land, but actually God is with Joseph in Egypt. God rescues Joseph. God works in and through Joseph's pain. Why? Verse 11, to give him favor before Pharaoh so that the Lord could use Joseph to secure provision and food for the ancient world in a time of terrible famine the pattern starts to become clear. God is doing the unexpected. He's working in and through his people's pain, and yes, even human sin to advance his promise. Then Stephen introduces us to Moses, and the plot thickens. 
verses 17 to 43. Verse 19 says this, the multiplying Israelites, they face pain, they face opposition, persecution, we might say. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, not knowing Joseph and not knowing Joseph's God, seeks to force the infants of the Israelites to expose them so that they would all die. That God has a purpose even in that sort of horrendous wickedness. Because verse 20, who comes along at this time of evil? Moses. Moses is born and he's beautiful to God, the text says. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He's trained in the best education of the ancient world. In verse 22, a man like Stephen, like Julie, Moses is mighty in words and deeds. A shining light for God. What a purpose Moses has, we might think. And yet Moses, what happens? Verses 23 and following, he experiences pain. He tries to help and save his Israelite brothers, but, but they thrust him aside, misjudging him and misunderstanding his intention, thinking that he wants to kill them just like he had done the Israelite or the Egyptian a while earlier. So he flees to Nowheresville, Midian for 40 years. What is God doing? What is God doing in Joseph's life? What is his purpose in all of this? Well, we start to see something a little clearer in verse 34. Moses, approaching the burning bush there on Sinai, where the Lord reveals himself and says, I have seen the affliction of my people, Moses. I've seen the pain of my people. I see it, and I'm going to do something about it, Moses. In fact, I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to do it through you. I'm calling you out to send you to Egypt, Moses. The pattern is clear. Moses' pain and adversity and even human sin, putting him in the place used by God to advance his purpose in the world, to rescue his people. But this is where we must pause. Because sometimes our hearts do not believe God is like this because of the difficulty and unexpected and crazy problems of our life. It's difficult for Julie to know that God was actually good in the midst of her pain. And some of you today might be asking, is God actually good and what is he up to in, in my pain? And so we can often resist and reject help from the Lord, rejecting his great purpose. Look at what Stephen continues in verse 55, the story of Moses. This Moses, he has a theme here, he's unfolding, listen to it, whom they rejected. A man called by God to fulfill God's purpose, but rejected. Verse 36, leading God's people out of slavery to fulfill God's purpose. And verse 37, promising a future prophet from God's people to come among God's people to rescue them. Verse 38, Moses, the one through whom God spoke his living word. Moses, who was filled with God's purpose, embracing God's way. And yet, verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him and thrust him aside. They turn to idols, rejecting the living God. Pain, rejection, human sin. What is God doing in all of this mess? And then to make it even a bit more confusing, Stephen adds, kind of to top it all off, this interesting section about the temple in verses 44 to 50. Joshua leading God's people with a tabernacle into the land. And then David, David, the great king, loved by the Lord, wanting to build the temple, but the Lord saying no. No, it's going to be your son Solomon in verse 47 who builds the temple. But his climactic point that Stephen makes in verse 48 is God will not be confined to dwell in a temple made by human hands. 
God's purposes, Stephen is saying, stretch far beyond and are far greater than what we could think or imagine. We think we can lock God in this box and that is who he is and what he does. And what the whole story of scripture is saying is God is greater and bigger than what we expected. And he is advancing his purposes in ways that are contrary to human ingenuity and understanding. God's design was always to have his presence spread beyond the temple to fill the whole world. The meeting place between God and man being the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, verses 51 to 54, Stephen says, we don't like it that way. Because like the Jewish people who are stiff-necked and stubborn, uncircumcised in hearts, hearts that have not been made new by the mercy of God, they always, do you see it there in verse 51, always resist the Holy Spirit, always persecuting, verse 52, the prophets, even to the point of killing the righteous one, a reference to Jesus. And all of this, verse 53, because of the law, God's plan to bring people to Christ was his purpose in the law, all from the beginning of how he started things. And yet, hearts are resisting Christ. We act like little kids at the Grand Canyon. Maybe you have seen your kid do this. Maybe you were a kid once and you did this. There it is, the beauty and glory of the Grand Canyon, but the kid is pouting in the car with headphones in, looking at their iPhone, not listening to mom and dad as, as they call him or her. Come, come on, come see this, come see this. The Lord by the Holy Spirit, Stephen is saying, time after time, beginning with Abraham and Joseph and Moses, Come back to me, listen to me, come be in my presence. And time and time again, God's people resisting, rejecting, spurning, turning away. But the offer for all of us this morning is that we would stop, we would stop turning away, that we, so to speak, would turn off the iPhone, take off your earbuds to listen to the call of Jesus that even through human sin, we see, right, in verses 50, 52 and 53, that Christ comes and is rejected, and yet we know the gospel story that he is raised by the power of, Christ, of God to offer salvation to those who would turn and believe, that you would exchange your stubborn heart, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, your heart so stubborn, turned away from the Lord, your heart resisting the Lord, that today the offer of the gospel is that Jesus would give you a heart transplant, no longer stubborn and stiff-necked, going your own way, living for your own purposes, but living for Christ. That's what the whole purpose of God is, to draw you to Jesus. Would you receive Christ today? But this leads to our third and final point. We've seen embracing the life of Christ. We've just seen kind of the whole story of Christ, knowing that, understanding how God works, that God's purposes are advancing even through human pain, especially through human pain and rejection and even human sin. But all of this is to lead us to see the glory of Christ. In verses 55 to 60, in response to Stephen's speech, his sermon, there's an ancient version of a violent protest in the streets where the people stuff their hands and their ears to stop listening to Stephen, to stop listening about Christ, resisting and not listening and not willing to 
have that heart exchange. And because they stop listening to Christ, they take him out of the city and they stone him, throwing large rocks on him till his skull is crushed and the breath is pummeled out of his lungs. And so we ask one final time, where is God's purpose in that type of suffering? Like Stephen, why would God snuff out the life of a beautiful witness to Christ? Malicious gossip, slander, misunderstanding, an impending gruesome death. What's God's purpose in all of this pain? Or closer to home, remember Julie? Last time we heard about her, recently abandoned by her first husband. Well, a few years later, Julie is remarried. Married to a pastor a man well-respected and loved in the community only to find out he's a total huckster who's cheating behind her back with her best friend. Two failed marriages, aching empty loneliness, gossip about her in the community though she had not done anything wrong. What's the purpose of that? For others of us, pain, depression that keeps getting darker, spiritual dryness that continues to linger, though after month after month you're asking, could you just give me some joy, Lord? Financial troubles that are getting worse right now as we speak, kids rejecting the truth that we love so much, sin that keeps sabotaging our joy, family members rejecting Jesus. The Jesus we try to clearly and calmly and persuasively talk about. What is the good of all this? God, what are you doing? Do you ever ask that? Oh dear Parkview brothers and sisters, he's drawing us deeper into Christ to see his glory. Look at verse 55. But Stephen, on the precipice of his greatest pain and the persecution of his life, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit whose primary job description is to lift our eyes, Stephen gazes at the glory of God in heaven and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What purpose does God have in our pain as we live for Christ? It is to show us more of Jesus. It is to lift our lives by the Holy Spirit off of the pain and challenge and opposition we so often face and to get a vision of the glory of Christ. What suffering Christians need most is a sight of the exalted risen Savior who empowers you and strengthens you to keep moving forward. And notice that Jesus is standing not sit, sitting back and detached from the pain, but, but standing, actively involved as he looks at the suffering of his church, as he looks at our pain, as he looks at the mess, and he's ready to receive us and full of grace and power, loving his mighty strength by the Holy Spirit into our suffering lives right now. That's what God is doing. Stephen shows us that in our pain and adversity, what we need most is Jesus standing in his glory. And we need to see and stare and behold the glory of this risen strong Savior in all of his power. Because do you know what happens 
when in our suffering and in our pain, we see Jesus standing in his power and his perfection, what happens is that you become a witness for Christ. God's purposes flood through you to the world. Verse 59, what do we hear Stephen saying? He says, Jesus, receive my spirit. In other words, the pain might tear my clothes, the rocks might bruise and harm my body, the pain might be so bad that it pummels the breath out of my body, but they can never take away Jesus from me because he has my spirit. I've given all to him. I've surrendered all to Jesus because I see him for who he is. And I am safe and secure in his strong and capable hands, no matter the pain and suffering, but there's more. Not only do we surrender by seeing Christ, but we also become a witness. Verse 60, Stephen falling to his knees and crying out, just like our Lord Jesus did at his moment of worst crucifixion, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen says, Jesus, suffering, crucified, risen Savior, Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen becomes... Though in the midst of his worst pain and suffering, listen, dear Parkview, brother and sister, in the worst moment of his life, Jesus, Stephen becomes a witness to the sufficiency of our Savior who reigns in power. And he becomes a conduit of the blessing of God to undeserving people to a world lost and under God's condemnation in rejection of Christ we bring the light and hope and gospel message of the forgiveness of Christ and the power of Christ through our suffering do you see the pattern we cannot miss this and we miss it to our peril as we suffer and we languish, which so many of us here right now are doing, that Stephen becomes a witness for Christ in his greatest pain because he saw the vision of Christ. Seeing Jesus in the midst of your suffering, reigning over all things in power and coming again to restore all things, that is what gives you the strength to testify to Christ don't hold this sin against them. Proclaiming the goodness of Christ in the midst of our suffering. Friends, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you to take your eyes off the earthly pain that you're struggling with right now and to fixate your eyes on Christ. Heavenly beauty and perfection and power. A crucified, risen Lord Jesus, do you know this, stands right now at the right hand of God in power, and he is helping you, and he's strengthening you, and he's using, yes, he is using you, especially in the pain and suffering, to advance his purposes. You know, Julie experienced great pain, but something radically changed in her life. She said after her second divorce, it was the point of her greatest shame and pain. She said, I fell in love with Jesus again. And as the pain forced her to look upward to Christ, her insufficiency drove her to the sufficient power of Christ. And as it did so, Julie became a woman 
serving others, blessing this world, God's purpose flowing through her to this world. Julie's now married to a wonderful man who truly cares for her, and she's being used by God to serve needy children in her community, opening God's word with other suffering women in her church, caring for children, teaching them about Jesus. She is a woman overflowing with Christ because at her point of deepest suffering, she saw a vision of Jesus. And the reason I know this about Julie is because Julie is my mom, Julie Urig. And I've had a front row seat park view of a real, she's an ordinary woman, guys. She's an ordinary person who has suffered a lot. But she has not allowed suffering to create bitterness and anger in her heart, which we are all tempted to do. Rather, what she has done, when suffering smashed her to her lowest point, the Holy Spirit helped her lift her eyes to Christ, and she saw Jesus. And you know what happens when you see Jesus in all of his glory reigning in his power, you become a person who can be useful to the Lord to spread his purposes in the world. This is what Jesus loves to do. This is what he's always doing all the time, 24-7, both now and forever. He's drawing sinful, broken, suffering men and women like Julie, like you and me, like Stephen, into his great embrace of love and power, and he's filling us with the Spirit as we see him and sending us out to be a witness for him. That's what Jesus does. Do you know this Jesus? Parkview, have you seen the glory of this Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we know that you want to shock this world with who Christ is through us, us ordinary, normal people who suffer a lot. So please give us a vision. This is only from the Holy Spirit. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven, seeing the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Yes, would you show us that, I pray.